recover. <clears throat> yeah, it's responding to treatment, finally. Good. Sporadic <laughs> remission of your Peronis? Yeah, it's gone into a remission. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it has a waxing in waiting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, guys, I can't come out today. I got a Peroni's flare. Flare. <laughs> Peroni's flare. Boys, uh, have you been as terrified by this UFO news as I have been in the last week? Well, in, in some way, yeah, yes, I'm scared, but um, in some ways, I think it explains uh, a lot of my experiences especially anally um mm. so and i yeah i'm getting sort of a sense of closure finally finally were you abducted well not so much probed probed anyway that's neither here nor there uh today's topic uh we're continuing on with our anemia episodes uh so last time we covered microcytic anemia Today we will be covering normocytic anemia and hopefully a bit of that macrocytic anemia as well, time dependent. So uh, as we started uh, uh, in our last pod, uh, it's very kind of important to remember the physiology here in terms of our causes of anemia. So anytime that there's uh, low hemoglobin, uh, the kidneys are going to sense this with uh, decreased oxygen delivery and they will release uh, erythropoietin, which will stimulate bones to produce our um, red blood cells. Uh, and there could be a couple sources along this path or a couple uh, disruptions along this path that can result in an anemia. And it's just important to remember this pathway with normocytic anemia, especially because there are so many causes. If we uh, have a patient, we run the CBC on them, we see a normal MCV kind of between 80 uh, and a hundred, uh, what are we thinking next? Now, what, how are we going to, how are we going to go along this, uh, this big differential and, and figure out, uh, what's going on? Yeah. So, um, in terms of like a normal cytic anemia, I guess the ways, and like, this is kind of my approach to all types of anemia as well, is, uh, you either have an issue with production, um, or kind of destruction, and so in that kind of framework... What about sequestration? I'm sorry to interject. Yeah, you could do that. Sure. I just, you know, it's a bit a bit of a pet peeve of mine when people neglect sequestration. But anyway, proceed, <laughs> please. I mean, I think of that more in terms of like thrombocytopenia. But sure, you can also think of it in terms of anemia. Um, and so in terms of that, you're kind of looking for... Is there decreased production? So in that sense, you could have uh, like anemia of chronic disease, uh, such, as a, such as a cancer, um, or you could have a uh, like increased destruction, uh, in which case we're talking more about hemolysis. And we'll jump into, I guess, all of the different types of uh, hemolysis because there's a bunch. And then the other one that I guess doesn't really fit too well into the framework, but just uh, people who are hemorrhaging would also have a normocytic uh, anemia. Like if they're just bleeding out in front of you, uh, they would have a normocytic anemia. But that one's going to be, you know, pretty obvious. If you see somebody bleeding and they're anemic, you kind of know what's going on. Well, you know, they could always be bleeding into the bowel or something like something a little bit more uh, like a little secret bleed. Would you go as far as describe it as an occult bleed? 
I try not to use those kinds of words because I do believe that words have a lot of uh, power in my life. And I'd you describe not... it as a spirit cooking bleed. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, we've got this. We got this guy. We don't know. Maybe bleeding. Maybe he's ha he has a Hillary Clinton bleed in his bowel. Um, you know, how how are we, what what next test should we should we consider to try and uh, figure out maybe between if we're thinking between a production issue and uh, a destruction issue well i i think i can answer that question directly and then discuss some other labs that are helpful so obviously um a cbc and diff uh establishing an anemia um which to review um uh, is less than what is it again for females and males? 135 for males, I believe, 120 for females. And then M MCV should be between 80 and 100 uh, for normal acidic. Um, and then in terms of uh, distinguishing between uh, an issue with production, and we'll talk about the, the various etiologies uh, there, uh, and destruction, it might be helpful to get a, a reticulocyte count so reticulocytes are uh, nucleated RBCs, red blood cells, and um, they should be appropriate or they should be within normal limits or elevated in the setting of, of an anemia. And if they're significantly low, you, that might lead you toward suspicion of a issue with production. Um, similarly, there are signs of uh, intracellular hemolysis and other types of hemolysis such as LDH which is an intracellular enzyme in, in the uh, uh, the red cell uh, haptoglobin so haptoglobin is uh, inversely correlated with uh, hemolysis that is haptoglobin is consumed with intravascular hemolysis I think it what does it do it sort of mops up hemoglobin I think yeah it mops up um, hemoglobin so takes it back to the liver Right. And then um, peripheral smear will also, can also show signs of, um, of hemolysis or, or production issues for that matter. But maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit of further detail. Um, any things you, you want to add at that stage before sort of itemizing other useful labs in the setting of a normocytic anemia workup? So to distinguish between production uh, and destruction? From completeness, uh, completeness sake, you could uh, throw in a bilirubin. Right. So bilirubin elevated in hemolysis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, a, heme, a heme byproduct, I believe. Heme destruction byproduct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, with, uh, with the retics, uh, that, that's a big uh, kind of a differentiating factor between the production and the destruction issues. If the reticulocytes are low, then then we know that the marrow is having difficulty in producing new red blood cells despite the anemia. Whereas an elevated reticulocyte count, and, and we know that production can increase like six to eight times with anemia, and the elevated reticulocyte count would reflect more of a destruction issue. So a higher higher turnover of the red blood cells. Interesting. Yeah, and fair point. Sorry, I don't know this this sort of subtle detail, but. Um, like a normal retix count in the setting of a significant uh, anemia, I think would be sort of suggestive of uh, an issue with with production. So I, so I think I misspoke. Uh, but anyhow, I think that that's a useful uh, clarification. 
I might be wrong here. I think I learned, I think it was like 2%. Like if it's 2% retics in the setting, like if it's above 2% retics in the setting like anemia, that's normal because uh, it's trying to replace the cells. But if it's like lower than that in the setting of anemia, you have a production yes. issue. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The retic index. Yeah. Yeah. And a bit, it's, it, oh, that's right. Yeah, and it's it, reticulocyte, uh, reticulocyte, and this is detailed, but uh, well, perhaps not. Reticulocyte production index, which is a ratio uh, between uh, hematocrit, uh, that is the percentage of, uh, of serum that's composed of hemoglobin, uh, and the, the maturation factor, which is the number, the retic count, which is expressed as a percentage of uh, red cells. Uh, good. So obviously with... With uh, lower hematocrits, we anticipate um, higher levels of uh, reticulocytes, and I believe the multiplier it should equal roughly uh, 45. That is, you know, to illustrate, with hematocrit of 45%, the retic counts should be around 1%, with a hematocrit of 20, so probably a fairly severe anemia, you might anticipate the retic count to be like 25 Anyhow, that was a little bit of detail, but I think it was useful. In terms of the production issues, uh, let, let's say the retic index is low. What would we be thinking of in our differential here? Uh, so a production issue. So one, one thing that we can think about is uh, dysfunctional, uh, a dysfunction in the production of the EPO, which is something we would see with chronic kidney disease. Basically, the kidneys don't produce as much EPO in order to stimulate uh, those new reticulocytes. And uremia uh, that may result from the CKD also has hypoproliferative effects on the bone marrow as well. Right, right. It can be directly toxic. Yeah. yeah that's interesting. So decreased EPO, generally reflective of, of renal failure. Right. Um, and there, I think there's a, also a few genetic uh, defects uh, there, but... Uh, definitely uh, less common. Mm -hmm. uh, I think two other ones. Um, so you spoke about anemia of, of chronic disease, which is vague, and I, you know I, we could get into some of the biochemistry there. But suffice it to say, if you're sick, um, you know perhaps you do not have the energy stores to produce lots of red cells, or you're sort of sequestering uh, what are thought to be rate limiting. Um, uh, uh, resources for an infection or a cancer. And then in terms of primary marrow disorders, um, there's bone marrow suppression from drugs, for example, obviously uh, chemotherapy, but also relatedly um, rheumatologic agents like methotrexate, um, uh, multiple myeloma, so anything that's um, uh, space occupying, for example, uh, or infiltrative into bone, uh, so mets, bony mets, especially breast, prostate, uh, any sort of related to that, any or uh, space occupying, I should say, uh, any sort of um, granulomatous disease. So uh, especially like uh, a TB can be bone marrow uh, infiltrative, um, and then certain you know primary uh, bone cell. Uh, dysplasias like myelodysplasia or myeloproliferative uh, uh, disorders. Mm -hmm. um, so those are some useful, multiple myeloma, obviously, some useful examples. 
Yeah, anything that kind of crowds crowds out that marrow. And then there's a like a plastic change, which I I guess is considered a yeah that would be considered a myelodysplasia, any sort of a like a plastic anemia. So yeah, I put that at like the severe end of the myelodysplastic syndromes. Yeah. Uh, one other one that uh, we can mention is uh, anemia of endocrine failure. Uh, it's it's a bit more of a rare one. I'm not sure how testable it is, but. Uh, things like hypothyroidism can result in uh, normocytic yeah. or uh, macrocytic anemia, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, hypogonadism, so low right. low T males, especially uh, our our elderly uh, male population. You know, one other thing you can consider is uh, like uh, hypopituitarism, like panhypopituitarism. So any anterior uh, pituitary dysfunction can result in. Uh, uh, anemia of endocrine failure as well. Uh, so qu- quite a quite a differential here. But uh, you know, th- thinking about the chronic diseases, the chronic renal failure, malignancies, um, that's what you would want to focus on with um, with uh, normocytic anemia with a lower retic. I think that's pretty much it for yeah production causes of normocytic. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess while on the topic. Uh, w- with uh, dysfunctional EPO, like uh, the low EPO uh, with uh, uh, chronic renal failure, what would be a treatment option for these individuals? Uh, yeah, there's a couple. There's either you give them uh, like EPO, erythropoietin, or you can give them darbipoietin. There's like two. I forget off the top of my head which one is... One you give like every time they have dialysis and the other is like weekly, um, but both can be used uh, in like people with chronic kidney disease. You'd also give them some iron as well. Yeah. Either PO or if they're really, really down, then you'd give them IV. Exactly. Exactly. So the uh, administering those erythropoiesis stimulating agents uh, will will basically replace that deficient EPO and uh, should uh, res- uh, normalize that uh, that hemoglobin great excellent uh should we move on to our uh, destructive just destructive uh uh differentials yeah just while we're there just because we brought it up have you seen epo used like like i've only seen derby poetin uh have you seen epo used uh, maybe this is like you point out in the setting of dialysis or something like that because i've never seen I think um, Darby is used because uh, Darby Poitin is used um, because it has a longer uh, half-life. Um, maybe there's s- specific settings where, where uh, you know, endogenous, uh, uh, that is bioidentical uh, EPO is, is used. That's interesting. Um, yeah, so, I've, I've seen both. I bet no, like cool. 50-50 the last time I was on Nephro. Huh. Yeah, so again, that's fairly high level, so probably not super uh, relevant, but that it would just be interesting. Maybe you can leave leave a comment or email us with that clarification. All right, so moving on. Um, yeah, so sequ- sequestration is, is very straightforward, so I'll just take that. Um, splenomegaly is the, the primary, uh, well, hep- more generally, hepatosplenomegaly. So any sort of cause of, of uh, splenomegaly uh, or um, uh, significant 
uh, let's say, uh, like IVC thrombosis, uh, people that have uh, cirrhosis, that have uh, hepatomegaly, it can be a site where blood sort of backs up and, and therefore uh, often uh, because with any sort of portal hypertension uh, can lead to splenomegaly as well. So that's not in, infrequent. You can see it in alcoholics. Um, uh, it's, it's not a totally infrequent cause of a normocytic anemia, although they, although they often have uh, a uh, comorbid um, uh, macrocytic anemia. But anyhow, okay, and then in terms of um, destruction, uh, shall we start itemizing those causes? I think of it in terms of uh, our investigations here. So a, a few of the investigations we ran, the bilirubin, the haptoglobin, um, the LDH as well. So uh, with hemolysis, we'll, we'll expect the elevated LDH um, and uh, that elevated bili. Um, what would haptoglobin be? That would be low, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, because it would be used up. Uh, otherwise, if we're thinking along the differential of hemorrhage, then we would expect those to be uh, to all be normal, all those labs to be normal. You can also get a, uh, a blood smear. What would we be looking for? Oh, geez, I guess uh, it kind of depends on the time of hemolysis, but uh, schistocytes, um, spherocytes, blood mm -hmm. cell, uh, bite cells rather, and then mm -hmm. in the case of at least. Uh, you know, a sickle cell. Sickle cell. Um, yeah. yeah. Those are kind of the, the top things I would think of. Target cells. I think that's it. We said spherocytes. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I guess related to that. Um, so a lot of these are autoimmune. Um, uh, the etiology is auto autoimmune. Again, probably a little bit beyond the scope and maybe for a discussion uh, in a future podcast, but there, there's the difference between warm agglutinins and cold agglutinins uh, and autoimmune hemolytic, hemolytic anemia. You, you don't forget to order, you know, I don't think we had mentioned that in our labs, um, direct and indirect Coombs, uh, SPEP, um, uh, and, 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 and there are other uh, serum markers, uh, you know, protein C, protein S, um, a few other things. But anyhow, um, let's focus then on the non-immune. So uh, in terms of some in, uh, not uncommon inherited uh, causes of uh, normocytic anemia, G6PD. So it's actually more common than, than you, you may think, especially in... Uh, folks that are from uh, more like malaria endemic regions, Middle Eastern people included, um, so that uh, can emerge and it can be it can manifest in in fairly young kiddos. I think it's on the newborn screen. I'm not certain though. Um, and then pyruvate uh, kinase uh, deficiency. So those are both red cell uh, enzyme deficiencies that basically cause. Uh, intracellular hemolysis, sickle cell, as you spoke about, especially for our uh, African-American uh, patients, be aware, or I should say, excuse me, patients of uh, African uh, descent. I think it actually is more um, common in African-American, but anyhow, uh, African descent. 
um, and then various microangiopathic. So that's where, you know, ordering, for example, fibrinogen uh, can be useful as well. Things like DIC, uh, TTP, um, what else? Um, like prosthetic valves. Uh, that's all I can think of right now. Um, yeah, so I think that that was sort of useful in terms of various uh, non-immune. Uh, and then, of course, all of the other like toxins that can cause uh, uh, hemolysis. You, you, you spoke about uremia, for example. Oh, oh, just bearing in mind that there can be mixed pictures as well, just like we spoke about. And, and using RDW can be useful there. So especially like, for example, yeah, like alcoholics is a great uh, example. You know, they can be thymine and B12 deficient. Uh, then therefore tending toward a macrocytic anemia, but then they have, you know, comorbid iron deficiency. So that brings the MCV into, um, a normal range. Um, you can also see this in your bypass patient. Um, so just be aware of a mixed picture and I don't know how super useful the, uh, the, uh, R the, uh, RDW is, but anyhow, for testing purposes, um, that can be useful to show that to, or to suggest that there's two sort of main populations that you're seeing there. Um, okay. So I think that that was a good outline of, of a differential diagnosis and, and sort of mechanism uh, underlying the differential diagnosis, but remembering production sequestration destruction. Do we want to talk a little bit more about, you know, how this, so you, we, we spoke about a, um, um, uh, clinical presentation. So maybe the patients in front of us, uh, are there any features on physical exam uh, for OSCE purposes that we may want to focus on? With hemolysis, uh, uh, well, the signs, signs and symptoms common to any anemia, as we discussed last time, uh, pallor, fatigue, tachycardia, um, you know, there's going to be that increased work to try and, uh, uh, perfuse the tissues. Uh, jaundice, um, due to, uh, the increased unconjugated bilirubin from the heme breakdown, um, hemoglobinuria, if, uh, if we're thinking just intravascular hemolysis, chronic hemolysis can also have, uh, can also result in cholelithiasis, uh, mm. due, due to that increased mm. bilirubin excretion, yeah. uh, splenomegaly as well hypertrophy of um the macrophages and the spleen to uh mm -hmm. to take up those yeah, red cells of, right yeah or uh, or as a primary issue in sequestration such as uh, what like ttp and stuff like that um okay right um, and then uh sorry just for a sickle cell you, you should uh apparently can get preapism with sickle right. cell so you should definitely check that yeah. absolutely are you, are you, Dr. PhD, are you still allowed to see patients physically? Uh, yes, but I need minimum four chaperones in the room at any given time. <laughs> Restraint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From at least three angles. <laughs> How long until we're wearing body cams like cops? Yeah, or until that footage is on live leak. Um... <laughs> Well, a lot of the, the the training centers will have like CCTV for the preceptors 
to watch, which is kind of creepy, but anyhow. Um, oh yeah. And then in, in terms of other tests, I think we did a, a great outline actually of, of the various um, blood tests. It, it can, consult your local guidelines, but often um, a, a male uh, with a, with an unexplained anemia, whether it's microcytic or normocytic, will require a scope. But you you can consider a fecal um, uh, Chelsea Clinton uh, blood test, <laughs> and um, and and in terms of other special tests, uh, urinalysis for uh, you know hematuria or for uh, uh, Billy urea so that was useful and and then definitive testing especially if there's huge uh a, a strong suggestion of a production issue uh is bone marrow biopsy and it's kind of interesting because that's it's more accessible than you think uh or, or, or i should i should rephrase more, more accessible than i would have thought and it's not like a huge deal it's not something that someone would love to go through, but a bone marrow biopsy, they usually, I think they go into like the ischium, they go into the hip um, and it's a day procedure and they freeze them up nicely and it can give you a lot of reassurance or confirm, confirm a different diagnosis. So don't, don't hesitate to refer to heme uh, for definitive diagnoses uh, in this setting as well. Okay. Any any sort of specifics around? Uh, uh, oh, and excuse me. Any sort of specifics around um, lab testings that we we want to discuss? I, I don't. You know, I don't want to get too stuck in the weeds. Does your PhD? Is there anything that you wanted to talk about specifically in terms of lab tests? Like we, um, there is, there's a lot of detail in terms of like. Coombs testing and stuff like yeah. that, but yeah, yeah. I mean, just like surface level, I guess. Uh, for sickle cell, uh, first thing you're going to do is like look at the smear and see if you see sickle cells. If you see sickle cells, you can then like uh, confirm with a uh, like hemoglobin electrophoresis, um, just to see the sickle uh, traits hemoglobins. Um, for G six P deficiency, yeah. Uh, G6PD deficiency, um, you're going to want to do a G6PD level uh, eventually. And then the only caveat there is it needs to be done like a couple months after their acute crisis. It can't be done during like the acute flare. Hmm. Um, we didn't really mention hereditary spirocytosis, but that's another genetic cause of normocytic anemia. Right. Um, and then the test for that is going to be a like osmotic fragility test. Um, and then yeah, we did the we talked about the Coombs, both the direct and the indirect, and that'll lead you either towards the cold agglutinins, which is like IgM mediated, versus the warm, which is IgG mediated. Uh, and then there's a bunch of different causes for each. I don't know if that's uh, probably too too deep to go into each of the specific causes but well see dr phd it turns out that your indirect coombs positive because you're a premature ejaculator or your indirect coomer something like that anyhow but yeah i agree that um 
You guys get it. I agree that um, Dr. Dre's a little anemic today. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think that works. Indirect coomer, premature ejaculation. Yeah, I'm, I'll I'll buy it. Um, the I agree that. So I think that that was sort of a useful level, and probably the level that you'll encounter uh uh on on uh on your boards med med school wise and and even uh early residency so so that's good um so moving on to to management um do we want to talk you know generally i'll start okay so uh obviously the management principle here is going to be treating the underlying cause um if they're if they're presenting with acute anemia, symptomatic anemia, we spoke about uh, transfusion criteria in the past, but refer to your uh, local guidelines. You're going to be thinking about um, uh, transfusion, but in the in the setting of concerns around, especially autoimmune hemolysis, you, you'll have to work with your blood bank uh, to to ensure that you have uh, properly. Uh, cross-matched uh, units. Um, we spoke, we introduced the idea of uh, EPO or, or diarepoietin. Um, I believe the the erythropoietin regimen is more frequent, whereas diarepoietin is, is once weekly, or at least that's what I've seen uh, in the setting of kidney disease. And for patients, select patients that are that, uh, and this is where you may encounter it more frequently, that are on uh, chemotherapy. So it's not infrequently used uh, in that setting. What about um, autoimmune uh, anemias? Again, uh, we, we didn't get into the the uh, pathophysiology sp- specifically, but uh, there's that the distinction between warm gluten and um, and, and cold agglutinin, um, which are uh, distinguished between IgG and IgM, respectively. Anyhow, they're they're often in the case of warm agglutinin related to a either a neoplastic or perineoplastic event, or an autoimmune or an infectious state. Um, and those treatments may therefore involve turning down the immune system. Okay, so that might mean prednisone, pulses, um, things like uh, azathioprine, cyclophosphamide, or in some cases, biologics. And I would comment that rituxan is probably the most commonly used uh, biologic in that setting to help, um, you know, decrease um, B cell production of uh, IgGs. Uh, So that's uh, warm agglutinin treated most commonly despite the etiology with um, immunosuppressive agents. Um, okay. So uh, if they have, you know, a, a, if they have a cancer, treat the cancer. If they have an infection, treat the infection. Um, I think that the, the treatments can get really complicated and this is, you're, you're very much going to be depending on your, your heme colleagues here. Uh, or working with your hematology colleagues here. But I think that that was a good outline of recognizing uh, various causes of um, normocytic anemia um, according to uh, blood work and smear um, and and therefore directing treatment 
based on on a clear diagnosis. Do we brilliant. want to spend? Yeah, brilliant. Do we want to spend? brilliant. Do we want to spend a moment on on uh, macrocytic? What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, I, we could blast through it potentially. Um, hey. If you guys are up for it, so uh, yeah, let's, let's crush it. All right, let's. Let, I'm just gonna crush it out real quick. Macrocytic anemia. We're thinking of uh, MCV above a hundred. Here, we're usually thinking about uh, an issue with DNA synthesis, uh, but. For uh, completeness sake, I do have an acronym here of causes of macrocytic anemia. The acronym is ABCDEF. A is for alcoholism, so specifically liver disease. B for B12 deficiency. C is uh, compensatory reticulocytosis, so not not really macrocytic, but uh, the the larger size of the reticulocytes uh, uh, results in that elevated MCV. D stands for two things: it's drugs, uh, so all sorts of things can cause this. Uh, uh, cytotoxic medications, uh, AZTs. D also stands for dysplasia. E stands for endocrine, although as we discussed, uh, a lot of this crosses over with the normocytic anemia, so things like hypothyroidism. And F for folate deficiency or uh, for fetus. So with pregnancy, there can be a bit of a bump in that MCV. So we have our, uh, uh, our patient with uh, these bulky uh, testosterone-filled macrocytic and uh, red blood cells. What are we going to do next here? Uh, if we're, if we're uh, you know, this is an otherwise healthy patient, uh, you know, run-of-the-mill, bread-and-butter, macrocytic anemia. What, what, I guess uh, of those causes, which ones would, be, would we be most suspecting on, a, on, a, uh, um, on like a question stem in, a, in an exam? Yeah. So I think yeah. high yield is, oh, sorry, I didn't go ahead, Dr. PhD. No, you, please. No, please. I, I mean, I insist. Oh, like I'm, I'm well, holding the door open for you. I've I've literally laid my jacket down over the puddle. <laughs> you're a, you're a dainty female. Yeah, please, by all means. Uh, yeah. So the high yield ones are going to be B12 and folate deficiency, right. and I think the big test that uh, you can see there. Uh, to kind of differentiate is with the peripheral blood smear showing you either megaloblastic, which leads you down the B12 and folate pathway, or non-megaloblastic, which then leads into those other um, causes that you kind of listed listed off. But uh, if you see a megaloblastic picture on the smear, which is going to be uh, five plus lobes uh, segmented neutrophils, uh, then you can uh, go down the B12 folate pathway. Exactly. So, so we're thinking about the hypersegmented neutrophils, and if we don't see those, then you know we can consider uh, some of our other uh, causes. You know, maybe start thinking about a, a cage questionnaire for the alcohol, or uh, uh, an- analyzing for cirrhosis, things like that. But you know, for uh, uh, for the sake of brevity here, B12 and folate is the first thing you should think of. Um, so w- with that suspicion and those, uh, those hypersegmented neutrophils confirmed, then we can uh, talk about their nutrition. So are they at risk of um, not getting enough B12 or folate uh, in, in their diet? Uh, 
So B12 and folate, uh, these uh, both cause uh, impaired DNA synthesis. Some symptoms that we might be thinking of, malaise, fatigue, a bit of weight loss, uh, diarrhea, loss of appetite. Uh, it's a lot of GI uh, symptoms. Yeah, even potentially fever and sore throat, uh, ah, <laughs> I've seen before. Uh, and some signs similar to, you know, with, with the other anemias, pallor, jo mild jaundice, fever. Um, we can also have uh, some fundal hemorrhages and glossitis as well. Usually it takes a few months to run out of folic acid. Uh, and B12 is more robust. It can take years to run out. Uh, typical requirement for folate is about 100 milligrams daily, whereas B12 is about one microgram. Our uh, folate uh, primarily found in uh, you know meat and vegetables, but folate think foliage, foliage, uh, and is primarily absorbed in the jejunum. So, uh, if we're thinking about folate deficiency, we're thinking about uh, poor diet. Uh, increased requirements of folate or malabsorption. So we will be thinking about uh, poor intake. So you know, the elderly, the elderly suck at eating, even though they've had lots of time to practice. So uh, think about them or, um, you know, uh, those that are uh, utilizing excess uh, folate. So pregnancy, hemolysis, um, malignancy as well. Malabsorption, so we're thinking more along the lines of celiac disease uh, and uh, medication can cause uh, deficiency in folate as well, specifically with things like uh, anticonvulsants. And uh, any other, uh, uh, any anything else to add on folate before I move on to B12? Just to add uh, one of the big drugs being like methotrexate, which is specifically an anti-folate. Right, yeah, methotrexate's a good one to <laughs> remember. So yeah, our, our room patients uh, uh, especially consider that. Uh, so B12, um, it, it can cause uh, the, the demyelination uh, in the spinal cord and peripheral nerves. So uh, some other signs and symptoms we would be thinking about are peripheral neuropathy um, and maybe even things like dementia. Uh, early sign, paresthesia. Uh, loss of vibration uh, sensation in the feet for those that do the the tuning fork test uh, and didn't throw that tuning fork in the garbage by now. Um, yeah, so so we got uh, we've got that uh, B twelve uh, where it's primarily in foods of animal origin. So uh, those that are uh, are vegan patients, uh, there are they are at, at risk especially of B twelve deficiency. And the B12 absorption occurs in the terminal ileum and does require um, a protein called intrinsic factor, uh, which uh, I've seen come up on tests before. Primary causes of B12 deficiency. So uh, we're thinking the, the elderly again, because as we discussed, they suck at eating. Uh, pernicious anemia. Uh, gastric bypass, gastrectomy, you know, all that, uh, anything that can impair absorption, uh, any sort of bowel surgery, we're, we're going to be sus suspicious of that. And uh, yeah, the veganism, poor intake as well. Anything to add to that, B12? Well, just related, like it, just um, um, because it, it does, it comes up on tests not infrequently. Um, 
pernicious anemia is a, uh, a hereditary uh, deficiency of intrinsic factor. And so folks will be unable to uh, absorb B12 through the alimentary tract. With that said, they can absorb um, intramuscular B12. Uh, so there's something called the Schilling's test uh, to distinguish uh, between uh, pernicious anemia and other causes. And, and just a, a minor note, medications like PPIs can, and people that are already B12 deficient, contribute to that as well. I believe uh, intrinsic factor works at an optimal uh, pH. So it's not irrelevant. Um, uh, uh, you know, we, we caution people around PPI. If they are B12 deficient to start with, that can cause a little bit of trouble. Yeah, and then and that 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 is basically the mechanism for for pernicious anemia. It, it, it's uh, and it's an impairment in that acid secretion um, that results in uh, in uh, uh, impaired uptake. Uh, so, oh, is it? So, I thought it was I thought it was um, intrinsic factor deficiency, pernicious anemia. Yeah, it's um, autoimmune against. Uh, gastric parietal cells that leads to a uh, lack of intrinsic factor, which is required to absorb B12 in the terminal, terminal ileum. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought but it was fair enough. <laughs> I think it is because parietal cells are the acid secreting, uh, secreting cells. Right. So that, yeah, would, yeah, that, would, that would make sense. Um, that it would, uh, it would affect both. Um, so there's that. And then does metformin cause a little bit? I'm just trying to think of a little, you know, practical uh, clinical pearls. Yeah, metformin as well as a medication that there's, they, this isn't in our local guidelines yet, but I think it's forthcoming, at least according to some endo endocrinologists that I've, whom I've spoke with. Uh, but um, uh, B, uh, metformin causing a B12 deficiency. So yeah, not uncommon and something that's, you know, potentially intervenable or easily intervenable, make people feel better. So recognizing it is important. Dope. So how are we going to replace this, uh, this folate and B12 deficiency? How is it typically done? Give them folate and B12. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. So folate typically replaced orally, uh, that should correct it. Even, even if there's a uh, uh, malabsorption features here uh if you give them enough then the it should correct as well uh and b12 typically uh delivered parenterally but uh, high dose oral therapy also works yeah and uh, i guess on an, on the uh on the note of folate um don't forget folate supplementation in pregnant women to uh, uh, minimize the uh, risk of neural tube defects. Um, so all, all, all women intending to get pregnant should, should be advised to take folate. Cool. Oh, uh, you know, one other thing that I um, just remembered. Uh, so, you know, we see macrocytic anemia. Uh, our, our patient, they just eat rocks all day. Uh, you know, we're not really sure if it's a B12 deficiency, if it's a folate deficiency. Uh, on this, um, uh, and on this question stem, you need to choose one. It's either B12 or folate. Uh, what kind of investigations can we order to differentiate the two? I mean, you would want to test 
you can test both directly for folic acid and B12 deficiency. But I think what you're probably trying to get at here is the methylmalonic acid level, yeah. which is going to be elevated in B12 and not elevated in folate. Exactly. Right. So that's that's what I was digging at. Methylmalonic acid or MMA, uh, it's a substrate in B12 metabolism. So not enough B12, elevated substrate. Uh, so uh, that'll that'll point you in the right direction. Easy. Easy peasy. All right. It's time for me to eat some folate in B12. And get some parenteral B12 directly into my veins. Yeah, I prefer it inter- IV instead of IM. Now, Good. Dr. Well, Dre, plan- did you did you get a parenteral B12 injection during your last uh, alien abduction? Uh, Eventually, when you had your actually, uh, when you had your probe, <laughs> I, I, I could have. I actually, I like to. I choose like a sort of a grimy back alley to give it to myself, just because I like the vibe. Oh, yeah. Sort of, yeah, I, I pretend that I'm sort of a destitute. It's sort of romantic. I romanticize the <laughs> the experience of being an intravenous drug user. Right. Um, it's like, do you need help, Matt? No, no, no. This is just my B12. It's all good. Yeah. So on, on that note, I think that we've we've done an excellent outline of both normocytic and macrocytic anemias. Um, and you you guys should be grateful, quite frankly, because we've helped prepare you for your boards, for your wards. And just it's just been fun. I think it's been as fun for me as it has been for the listener. That's and, you know, I, the, the normocytic anemia, macrocytic anemia episode, you've got to be a real fucking nerd to make it to the end of this podcast. So. Uh, all of the nerds, please email us with any suggestions for future episodes. You know, what, what are you struggling with? What are you reading over and over again and just can't quite put together? Uh, let us know. We want to help you out. We're, this is a team effort here, and we're trying to build a, a, a community of elite medical students. So tell us what's up. All right. Excellent. Excellent.